Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, it's time once again for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people to figure out why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the sciences. And as always, my dear friends, I'm so excited to be with you today. I apologize for not being better about being consistent. You know, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, in the future, in the year three, in the year 3000, does anyone remember that? Nope, I'm so sorry. Uh, Conan O'Brien is great. Anyway, uh, it may not matter to you, right? This is just the episode after the last one. But for my loyal friends and listeners who have been with me the whole way, uh, it's been a a couple of weeks, right? And I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. I've recorded some episodes. Uh, We are going to get there. It may, this show may come out every other week for the next couple of months, maybe through the end of the year. It's uh, about to be October of 2022. But eventually we're going to get back to weekly episodes and back to normal. So I'm going to keep this short. Uh, first thing, follow all the places. Uh, Planthropology. Yeah, that is Anthropology with a P on the front. So go uh, right now and subscribe wherever you're listening and follow on social media. The other thing, this is a super exciting episode because my guest today is one of the crowd favorites from the past. This is my friend Nat Saban, uh, who is the host of the Across the Ages podcast. She's an ecologist. She's an educator. And she is just an absolute lovely delight of a human being. I just, I I love Nat to death. And uh, I'm so excited that she actually was willing to come back and talk to me again. We talked about uh, plant hunters, people that throughout history have gone and found new species of plants and hunted for plants, but in the process have contributed a lot to the scientific community and to the scientific study of our friends, the plants. And so this was a great episode. Natalie did a ton of research, a ton of research for this. And again, is just an absolute delight. So I'm glad to have you with me without too much more rambling, which is maybe this is less rambling than normal. Maybe it's more. It's hard to say. It's been a minute. Let's listen to music and let's jump into episode 86 of the Planthropology Podcast, Plant Hunters, my dear friend, Nat Nat, how are you today? I'm really good, actually. I'm quite um, jazzy. Ja- Ooh, <laughs> that's that, a good word. That's that's the word I tend to use when I just feel quite upbeat and um, happy and stuff. I'm feeling quite jazzy, and I've just had a coffee as well. So, <laughs> caffeine. That's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And uh, are you an all day? This is this has nothing to do with the episode at all. I don't think. Uh, are you an all day coffee drinker? Like, will you drink coffee through the afternoon? Yes, but. I'll probably stop at about, well, I'll say seven, but it's seven now. And I've just had, <laughs> I've just had one. Well, you're um, just I try right and on think it. That, yeah. I mean, I try and think that it doesn't affect me, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it probably does. But yeah, <laughs> used to being up at all hours. So coffee just, you know, keeps me going. <laughs> well, that's true. You do keep very uh, uh, late or early or both, both hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chasing so so for for those uh listeners who have not listened to the your your previous episode for one if you're one of those people you should go back and listen to it because it's great 
But uh, can you just introduce yourself again real briefly? Uh, tell us what you do and and uh, how you got into plants just and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm Nat or Natalie and I am an ecologist um, in England, um, in the UK. <laughs> England, <laughs> it sounds so weird when you say England. No one says England, do they? They just say Britain or, or the UK. Um, but anyway... Um, so I am a consultant ecologist, which means if you want to build something in the UK, um, you will not like me because <laughs> uh, I will go around and say, well, you can't do that because there's a badger set there. You can't do that because there's a bat roost in that tree. So you can't cut that down until you get a license to cut it down. And we move that back to a new little house. And um, so I cause a nightmare for housing developers. Um because we want to protect the wildlife so um the the bad the the sad scheduling is for us to do bat surveys often we have to be up quite late because that's when bats are up and we have to be up quite early because that's also when bats are up and also when birds are up so when i do bird surveys i have to start at dawn and um yeah so the survey season which is sort of march to september is is a riot (laughs) (laughs) um and who knows when i'm going to be awake and when i'm going to be asleep because it's just a game of catch-up really yeah no that's uh and i'm sure that is interesting to try to get used to i am i don't know if i'm just getting old no that's not true i know i'm getting old but like (laughs) most days i'm like oh my god it's 9 30 p.m like it's 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 bedtime it's bedtime i'm done (laughs) i'm like that at at 10 o'clock like well I'm not someone who likes going out out. Mm-hmm. So I'm I want to be home in my pajamas and be drinking tea. Um and I went on a works night out last sort of November. We went out in Birmingham, um, which I had to be dragged out because that's not my bag. <laughs> and um it got to 10 o'clock and I was with quite a lot of younger people, like sort of early 20s. And I looked at my watch and it was quarter past 10. And I was like, right. And I literally tapped it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm going back to the hotel. And honestly, the look that those kids gave me of, and I was just like, I don't care. It's bedtime. I'm bored. <laughs> it's loud. There's people. Gosh. It's loud. There's lots of people. I don't like it. I'm going, I'm going back to the hotel. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I, I was at a conference recently and I feel all of that in my grumpy old bones. Uh, so, you have sort of an interesting and long history with plants, and we discussed that again more uh, in in the previous episode. But you know, you've in the last year or so moved, and and I love seeing mm-hmm. pictures from your garden because it seems like you're just loving the heck out of it. Love, love my garden so much. It's it's bringing me so much joy. It's quite big. I mean, it's probably about thirty meters long, and. 10 wide something like that so we bought the house for the garden so that we could garden and that's what's had the most love in the past year we've transformed it I've I've had a wildflower meadow I have put down a wildflower meadow um I've put a pond in um and I've there was loads of just sort of gravel everywhere so I've pulled all that up made it into beds reduce the lawn, put more beds in and Mm -hmm. um, got flowers from the garden, uh, the bargain bucket at the local garden centres that look a bit sad and nurse them back to health. 
Um, but it's been so nice to see stuff flourish that's that's as and also seeing what's already there and what's coming up mm-hmm. and going what's that that you know, is a fun game that? yeah 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 so twitter helps me with that if not i use a sort of plant id app if and then generally once i've done it i've got that then that's in my head i know what that is mm-hmm. um but I, i've i've become more botanical in the past year you'll be very happy to know i was <laughs> i was always very much like I have to do botany as part of the ecology, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not excited by it like I am bats and birds. And I've I've sort of done a U-turn and um, I'm getting quite excited about it. I went on a grasses course. Oh, cool. Um, so uh, sort of be- the starts, the sort of basics, I think we did about eight or nine different grasses and we went to an English heritage site, which was a, a an old lowland meadow. And we got to look at all the different grasses there. And now I, I've got eight grasses in the garden. So I got my grass ID book, picked all my bits of grass from around the garden that looked different and sat with my ID book. And um, it's it's really fascinating what it can tell you about the area and the soil and everything else. So I'm still very much an infant, but um, I am getting there. That's very cool. Very cool. And I, I think that's a good story too, because like, everyone just sort of starts somewhere. And I think that it's one of those things that, and people don't believe me when I say that, say this, but you get into it a little, and then a lot of people get into it a lot. Like (laughs) it's, it's kind of fun. And I, uh, you know, it's funny because if you were to see my garden landscape yard, whatever at home, most people would be like, come on, you can do better than that. And they're, they're right. Uh, but I spent a lot of time up at work, you know, managing yeah. our gardens here. And I go home and I'm just like, I just want to lay on the floor and, and not yeah. move for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice to spend as much time as possible this summer out out in the garden. I mean, I, it looks like there's some snowdrops coming through. And that's me being an infant again, because that's not possible. <laughs> um, but it's something that looks like snowdrops. But I'm just waiting cool. to see what that is, because I've not planted that. Yeah. So I'm sort of, it's, it's nice to wait. And we rescued a rose that was in shade, quite a lot of shade under some ivy. Um, and it had one very sad looking rose on it earlier in the year and it smelled incredible. And I, I put it on Twitter and I said, does anyone know what this rose is? Because I wanted to know if it was a climber because we were putting a an arch in made of pig fencing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because who wants to spend money on a really expensive trellis? Oh, yeah. No one. Oh, yeah. So we got a massive roll of pig fencing um, from a local farm shop for like 20 quid um, and put it up and I'll, and someone, um, uh, a gardener got back to me saying it was masquerade. That's what okay. it was called. Um, but they said, don't dig it up until October. <laughs> well, <laughs> patience is not my thing. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we were like, it's going to, we convinced ourselves that it was going to die if we didn't move it. And um dug it out and moved it onto the archway and we nursed that like a kitten Hmm. and um well I learned stuff about the roots and how it's the sort of the little hair roots that I'm sure you know you know what they're really called but the little (laughs) root root hairs no that's right yeah okay okay um you know those are the ones that are picking up loads of the water and even if you are very gentle when you're moving it you are breaking a lot of those off even Mm. if you're trying to keep the root ball um, and my other half moved it over. And so we were drip feeding it um, from the hose uh, to try and give it a bit more chance to get it in. And we were misting the leaves and stuff. And now the first ones come out today. 
it's been going and going. We've been like getting the aphids off it with like a paintbrush and mm-hmm. I think a sawfly got one of them, a sawfly larvae, but um, it's now starting to come out and it's just so rewarding that we've, that's been two months in the making. Mm-hmm. That sort of, you know, looking after it. And now it's just like my baby. <laughs> I rescued awesome. it. Yeah, and that's now awesome. It's flourishing. <laughs> Very cool. And actually, I think I saw your picture earlier, your rose yes, picture a little while ago. That's the one. Very pretty. Very pretty yeah. rose. Yeah. Red and red and yellow. Um, and then sort of going a bit more creamy as it opens. So yeah. It's pretty. Very cool. Well, that that's actually a great segue into what we're talking about today. And that is like plant hunters and plant collectors mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Natalie is the host of a great podcast called Across the Ages, where she talks about the history of all, all kinds of things, all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. And so uh, you had approached me a while back um, just saying, hey, I would love to talk about, uh, you know, the history of plant hunting, plant collecting, all those things. And mm-hmm. um, I think that it's an interesting, I love this topic because People don't think, I think, a lot about, okay, well, how did we find this plant and then put it here and find this plant and put it here? And and mm-hmm. why did we do these things? And it's this fascinating both uh, story of ecology, but also uh, human industry and the, the weird mm-hmm. things we do to nature as we try to sort of bend it to our will. So, so why did you pick this topic? Why do you think this is something that's fascinating? I think it's it's partly to do with exploration. I think a lot of these sort of um, plant hunters just sort of um, went off and just decided to go and collect a load of plants. They didn't know where they were. They knew where they were going, but, you know, they didn't Mm -hmm. really know what they were expecting. And they were just like, oh, this is new. This is new. This is new. I'll have one of those. I'll have one of those. You know, the amount of months it takes for them to get there on ships and stuff as well. Like it's not just hopping on a plane and going over, which still takes God knows how many hours now. Yeah. But, you know, um, and going... I think the things that are new to science are very exciting. And I I think that the sort of, I guess, I mean, we start in the 17th century. um, So a while ago, um, you know, that was the sort of heyday, sort of 17th, 18th, 19th centuries of look at all these new things that are exciting for science. And now we still do find things that are new to science, but it's very much far few and far between i think mm-hmm. so the age of discovery and the age of sort of navigation being able to get and just a bit of colonialism colonialism knocking about there as well um oh sure which we'll keep in mind um but it's just it's just incredible i like it history and plants history and nature the two things that i really really like so this was going to be a little perfect topic cool, cool. well yeah uh, you told me you've got, you know, the history of several different plant hunters, plant collectors, and yeah. I think let's let's just jump into it. All right. Um, well, quite a few of these I got from. Um, I actually mentioned to my director, my the big boss of my company, that I was going to be guesting, and he was just like, oh, "Hang on, this is before I'd done any research," and he just mm-hmm. sort of rolled over and got like two books out um, and just handed them over to me. And he was just like, did you know about this person? Did you know about this person? Because he's a, he's a botanist. That's his, Oh, that's cool. You know, that's his jam. And so he sort of handed me these books. So quite a few of these are information out of those books, um, which I can't think of what they are at the top of my head. But, oh, actually, they're here. Um, <laughs> one's called Flower Hunters by Mary Gribbon and John Gribbon. Okay. Um, and actually, the other one I haven't read, but I'm looking forward to it, which is Orchid Fever, A Horticultural Tale of Love, Lust and Lunacy. Oh, wow. Um, 
by Eric Hansen, which is looks quite fun to read. But I think I got quite a lot of the information off the Kew Gardens website. Um, so the first one we're going to go into, because um, it started a little bit of a man fest. So I went out of my way to go and find some women plant hunters as well. And yeah, managed yeah. it. So I was quite happy with that. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. Um, she is Swiss. Um, but Maria Sibylla Merian. So she was born in 1647 and died in 1717. So she was sort of most for the most part in the 17th century. So we're going to do it in in date order because that oh, cool. is how I roll. I like it. OK, so um, I think she was German born Swiss. Um, so she is this incredible painter. So a, a lot of the women I found when I was researching as, you know, um, women botanists or just botanists, but, you know, I'm trying to mm-hmm. differentiate, um, were very much painters because that was seen as an acceptable mm. hobby, an acceptable vocation for women. But these ones stuck out a little bit more as not, I don't I don't mean not just painters, but, you know, uh, actually went out to get specimens. I think that's that's what I was looking for rather than just incredible illustrators. Yeah. Um. So born in 1647, her stepfather was a painter. So he taught her how to paint. Um, So she published a three-volume series of these, like, incredible illustrations. You'll have to have a look at them because they're amazing. And it was called The New Book of Flowers. Um, So when people looked at them, particularly because it was a woman that did them, they didn't really pay them much attention and they just thought that they were quite nice and they were useful for designs for embroidery. Okay. Basically, which I mean would be very, very cool. Yeah. Um, But what was really interesting about her is that she was really interested in entomology as well. So at that time, insects were either ignored because they were inconsequential (laughs) or they were disgusting. Um, She didn't agree with that. So she made it her mission to observe them um, closely and properly and um, actually illustrate them with the plants at the same time. So she's not just a botanical illustrator. She basically included um, insects in all of her drawings, which are very, very beautiful. Um, so do you want to guess how many insect species she observed and collected? Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm trying to come up with a number that it's funny because when people ask me questions like this, I'm like, I want a number that's a little ridiculous, but not like, I'm going to say 1500. I don't know. Nowhere near. <laughs> okay. I, I just threw a number out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's my fault. So she observed the life cycle. So she actually collected these and observed the life cycles of 186 different insect species. That's so cool, though. That's still a lot. That feels like a it lot. It is quite a lot. Um, And she published the caterpillar's marvelous transformation and strange floral food. So what was bringing it back to plants? She was one of the first people to realize that butterflies and caterpillars depending on a particular food plant. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, she was one of the first people to properly have a look at it, which people didn't really care about at the time. <laughs> what was super, super cool? I mean, some sources say that she was a self-funded expedition. I always get exhibition and expedition 
mixed up. So uh, that was that pause. That's <laughs> how that was like expedition um, to Suriname. Suriname. I, I'm not. I can't think off the top of my head what the the current the current country is that used to be called Sur- Suriname. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up while you're. While you're... Yeah. Um, so she actually, uh, and then some say it was self-funded. Some say that the city of Amsterdam sponsored her because by this time her books were out and people were like, this guy, she's actually super cool. Um, in 1699, she just travelled across the world to collect plant and insect specimens. Like, if you think of the 17th century, and I guess going into slightly the 18th century, this is like women were not allowed to go to the market mm. without a chaperone, you know, yeah, and I just find that just absolutely incredible that she's one of the earliest sort of um, botanists that we're covering. And she just, she was 52 um, and she took her daughter as well. So um, the area was like French, Dutch and British Guyanas for two years. She went round um, and I just thought that was really cool. I mean, it's difficult to get across on a podcast how incredible her drawings and paintings were but it's mm. it's very cool and you should definitely go <laughs> yeah go and have a look at them yeah and I'll, I'll and i'll include links to some of this stuff in the in the show notes so people can go check it out but yeah. you know and I, I you make a really interesting point that when we talk about especially women in these times doing incredible things like this the the context of like, women weren't allowed to do stuff yeah <laughs> like, at the time makes it so much more mind blowing. Like the thought of someone traveling around and doing that today. Yeah. Is incredible. You'd be gel, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so like uh, at the time, you know, people that sort of blazed new trails in a lot of ways, especially women who were, I don't know, brave enough, or maybe uh, uh, there's a lot of bravery involved, but maybe even had just like the force of will and force of presence to, make something like that happen is just really cool yeah i think a a sort of side note i think i remember i mentioned it in the last one these people are all well to do sure all these people that i'm talking about are well to do they have money they're able to go and travel and do nice things and and explore their scientific interests um Mm -hmm. and have time to do that (laughs) have time to do that (laughs) um so bear that in mind it's it's usually well off people it's not it's not as it's not as that would have been able to go and do that. Oh yeah, no, been. no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm not oh, probably. I'd have been a wife. Uh, yeah, and, okay. and, a, and a and a child, and you know, I have to to do my job to have food and stuff. So, like, yeah, that's kind yeah. of an interesting uh, that that and that is an important point when we talk about all of this, I guess. And and uh, in some ways, and this is maybe a little off topic. In some ways, the way that our I'm trying to figure out how to say this like connectedness today and like access to information access to you know social media and things like that have have shrunk the world in a lot of ways that folks that are not these elite in some ways can still find cool things and share cool things and make huge like not just scientific but cultural and artistic and uh um, uh, societal contributions. Like, I feel like it has opened up this whole world to a whole bunch of other people. Mm, I mean, you know, obviously, there's many countries that you and I have never been to. 
Yeah. But we've seen God knows how many pictures and videos of, you know, different climates, different habitats. And so to an extent, even if, say, I was going to go to Borneo, you know, I would ha- I would pretty much be, I'd know what to expect to mm-hmm. an extent. It's not the same as being immersed in it. But imagine living in 17th century England in, you know, a thatched cottage <laughs> and heading over to a completely different biome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, just like, I vote and yes. Yeah. And it being like boiling hot and, you know, incredible plants and flowers and insects. And one of the drawings that she did is of a bird, a Goliath bird eating spider. And uh, she's drawn it with a hummingbird. Like it's, it's eating mm-hmm. a hummingbird and the scientific community did not believe it <laughs> for ages. They were just like, as if, you know, we're, you know, the biggest spiders are here. We have our house spiders and they're not right. that big. So, um, you know, it must have been ridiculous for them to see that. But it's just um, it's it's it must have been mind blowing stuff, really. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You ready for the next one? Yeah, let's do it. This one's a lad. This one's a dude. OK. Um, his name was John Ray. So around the same time as Maria, a 17th century, I didn't write down exactly when, I've just put 17th, so 1600s at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy wasn't someone who actually went to loads of different countries. He was just a botanist who loved plants in his own county. So he lived in Cambridge um, and of Cambridge University fame. <laughs> and, oh, that um, one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been. I'm sure it's fine. Um, uh, I work in Oxford, so I'm just like, Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, he wrote British Plants in 1690. So he grew up with his mother being a folk healer. Um, and obviously that would require her to know British plants. And his dad was a blacksmith. So he was quite a curious kid by all accounts and saw plants and just wanted to know about Mm -hmm. plants. Um, So he wanted to do his own experiments and I've written and get all sciency is what I've written at (laughs) Trinity College in Cambridge. Um, But he wasn't doing botany yet. He sort of, he knew stuff because his mom was a folk healer and obviously, well, I'm surprised she wasn't, hauled in for witchcraft because that's the sort of thing that uh, yeah. poor women would have been hauled in for because they know too much too clever witch yeah, yeah. she's um, smart she must be a witch yeah exactly she's helping everybody kill her <laughs> um so he was at the, he was lecturing in greek maths and humanities but in his early 20s he got poorly he got ill um and so he'd been subscribed sub- sub- Subscribed, subscribed fresh air during walks. So hmm. um, we all know how that feels. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously during lockdown and stuff, people were out going for walks. And in the UK, we had daily, hourly walk. That's what we were allowed to do. Um, and that was it. And I think it was bringing, uh, I spoke a bit about it last episode that, you know, it's getting people back to nature. Um, and he started to be like plants. Plants, plants, plants are cool. Um, And he just started getting obsessed with them. So uh, 
he got excited about botany and he wanted his friends to get excited about botany as well. So in 1660, he wrote the Cambridge Catalogue of Plants, which was British, all British plants in that you can find in Cambridge, because he wanted to get his mates involved so that he could <laughs> he could talk about them with them. You know, that's so, um, that's funny because he's like, I love that. And that's maybe that's why I'm on TikTok. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's funny. He's like, I have to talk about this to someone. And yeah. if all his friends are like, I, I don't care about this. He's like, They're not got TikTok make... accounts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. He's like, I'm going to make sure you care about this so I have someone to talk to. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So he made a catalog of plants. Um, he had a friend called Willoughby who he went on sort of local travels with. He did the, this Willoughby guy did birds, beasts, fish and insects while he did the, while um, Ray did the plants. Um, okay. But one thing that he was responsible for that is significant is he was responsible for grouping plants into families. Okay. But he called it something slightly different. So he put them into genera, mm-hmm. would be the order. So our modern order he called genera. Then species subalternae, which is the – I've put general and that's not correct. That's gen, genera. So he mm-hmm. sort of like it then moved along. And then species infirme, which would then be species. Okay, got it. Um, so he started going, actually, we should probably start grouping these. Um, and so he also classified them into habitats, families, distribution. He described lifestyle uh, – lifestyle <laughs> – the lifestyle of plants. <laughs> I would read that book. Yeah. Um, life cycle. And um, he talked a lot about seed germination. So paid attention to that quite a lot. So, I mean, you know, he's not going off tra- traipsing around the world, but he sort of started that let's put plants into families um, thing. Yeah. That is pretty, very useful now. It's pretty, pretty important. Pretty important. And I think, you know, uh, that actually brings up an interesting point where, Again, I'm I'm struggling to figure out how to say some of these things. Uh, we have this idea of to see nature, you have to like go, you know, like I have to, to go and go see a national park or a forest or, a, you know, these these far off destinations. And I like the way that he was thinking about it, because I think about this a lot. Like, no, there's there's like stuff where you live, wherever you live. Uh, yeah, it, it may not be this big ancient forest, but mm-hmm. goodness, there, there are so many cool plants and animals and wildlife that maybe nobody has ever seen before. Just mm-hmm. in the places you live. Yeah, I, 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 um, I was working the other day, and I was on an A road in Oxford, which is absolutely living the dream. Um, just it's a dual carriageway, so sixty mile an hour, you okay. know, <laughs> walking along there, and um, we saw a pyramidal orchid. Oh, cool! Just opposite a petrol station, just sort of on the side of the path, there was like a plastic bottle next to it <laughs> you know like you would not expect to see that and you know the, those three of us and we just sort of stopped and went oh orchid it's amazing you know and um they they can pop up in the most strangest places and the thing is you can't you can't really grow british orchids really they have to mm-hmm. you'll you'll know stuff but they need rhizomes yeah yeah they need mm-hmm. special things yeah so they are where they are. You can't just be like, I want them in my lawn. If they're in there, your lawn, you're lucky, but yeah. you can't really get them. So to sort of spot one in just a crap place, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, and it's you don't expect to see it, and you did so, and we did so. Just keep keep your eyes open. This is very cool. We have something similar here, uh, and I know you probably don't know a ton about the weird place that I live, but it is a sort of uh, high altitude prairie. I live on top of essentially a big flat rock, and uh, it's you know we're we're at about a thousand meters above sea level here where I live, and um, it's flat. We have a 1% slope running hundreds of miles in every direction. And it was a grassland, like a, a medium grass prairie. And so as far as you could see, it would have just been like grass. Mm-hmm. And it must have been very intimidating, I, I think, you know, coming up on this uh, as, as you know, the, the Europeans moved this way. They uh, Actually, it was, it was not really westward. It was sort of southward from Mexico. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, about 45 minutes from where I live, and, and it's funny because in Texas, we put everything in terms of like time, because if we start thinking about the distances, it's really like offensive. Um, (laughs) But, you know, not too far from where I live, there's this little uh, right off the highway, off the roadway, there's a little rest area, Um, you know, bathrooms and picnic tables, things, Mm. a parking lot. But then you go down these stone steps into a natural spring area. And there are endemic terrestrial orchids. There are two or three species of native grapes and hawthorns and all of these weird things that if you didn't just like take a few minutes to say, Oh, what's down those steps, you yeah. get back in your car and you'd take off and that's all you'd ever yeah. do. Yeah. It's amazing. You can find stuff. You can find stuff anywhere. Oh, actually I saved lots of caterpillars. There was a day. I can't remember what they were now. There was, um, what were we doing? We were checking dormouse boxes. That's what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So we were doing the sort of length of the, God, like five kilometers or something, just going in it. <laughs> we were bunny hopping, like sort of uh-huh. just checking one, and then the next person checked the next one, and we just kept going and kept going. Um, but I had to keep saying to my colleague, I was like, "Stop!" <laughs> and you know, he's about to like step on this caterpillar that's just sort of like <laughs> going across the path, and I was like picking them, but they got lots of hairs on, so I was like, "Right, well, I'm gonna have to get a stick because <laughs> I don't want to get, I don't want to get irritated." Yeah, I did no. find out what it was, but I can't remember now. But um, you know, you don't expect that on what's quite a rubbish stretch of anonymous British road. Mm. Um, but stuff's there. Just stop and look for it. Yeah, yeah. I have got uh, another guy called Carl Linnaeus. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe maybe more sciencey people will know who he is. Um, I'd not heard of him, but. Consequently, after doing this research, he happened to come up in a topic at work, which was just very, very odd, which I'll go into in a second. Um, So he was an 18th century Swede, another Swiss person. Wait, no, they're two different things, Switzerlanders. (laughs) I was just like, I said it. And then I went, no, that's not right. No, he was Swedish, not Swiss. Um, But he was the son of a pastor. Um, and he really, 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 really liked gardening. So he's an amateur botanist. Um, so he had his own garden to look after when he was a kid. And at school, he was known as Little Botanicus <laughs> um, because he just wanted to spend all the time outside, did not want to spend any time inside at all. Um, he didn't go and study uh, botany, but he studied medicine okay. uh, at uni. At university and he met an older doctor sort of mentor chap who introduced him to a herbarium 
which I had not read before, didn't know what it was, but that is dried plants stuck to paper, Mm -hmm. which I didn't. I mean, I know what they are, but I've never heard that them called that. Yeah. Um, And he really, really enjoyed doing that. Um, He went to a different university. Um, Have you heard of Uppsala? If you watch anything, any Vikings program. Not really. Yeah, it's 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 Uppsala is uh, it was sort of where Vikings went, and it was like sort of I suppose their equivalent to Mecca. Oh, okay. Um, so they would go there, but um, I didn't do any more research into that. I just recognised Uppsala, and I was like, "Hang on, that's from the many Vikings programs that I've I've recognised it." Um, but he got put in charge of the botanical garden. Um, he was absolutely obsessed with lists. <laughs> he would literally list everything. He would list his friends' hobbies. He would list his friends in order of who he liked the best. Like he was just, <laughs> he was absolutely obsessed with lists, which then makes sense what he then be- went on to do. That Some historians suggest that he may have been hanging out on the spectrum a little bit. Sure. Which is where all the cool kids live. <laughs> um, so before I sort of go to some of his adventures, he described something that he never actually achieved in his lifetime but they did in the victorian era and i i kind of want to do this it sounds incredible right so he described um the concept of a floral clock okay so different i'm telling you that of course you know this but different plants will open at different times of the day so you've got your ones that open early and then so what he wanted to create was a floral clock that would open, you know, he'd plant them in a circle, like yeah. a clock face, and they would open, you know, on the hour, huh. you know, around the around the clock. And he didn't quite manage it. I'm sure it's quite difficult. You'd have to have the positioning absolutely exact. And, sure. You know, everything would have to be in flower at the same time as well, which is obviously <laughs> right. quite difficult to achieve. I mean, I find it difficult keeping the garden in flower because I just go mad at the beginning of the year and then everything's gone over in a month and I've just got <laughs> green everywhere. Um, but the Victorians did it. So um, 100 years later, they they was like, this is cool. And they managed to achieve it. So he wanted to show his students it because he was a lecturer. But um that is lovely, isn't it? It's so cool. And I'd actually never heard that before. That is fascinating. And yeah. uh, what a cool idea. Now like I want to try it. on yeah. the hour and you, you sort of see each flower opening, um, yeah. which is cute. That would be is. so nice. I'd like to do that. But if he couldn't manage it, I don't think I could. Maybe that's a TikTok challenge. Yeah, no, I'm thinking, I mean, I'm thinking like, okay, what would I plant that would, like, I think I could get, like a morning, afternoon, night. That's not that hard. Yeah. But I'm thinking of like every hour of the day. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So uh, that's on your list. That's on your list to do. That's what the people want. The people want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he he also went abroad um, and he went on expeditions to Lapland. Okay. So at the time, the nomadic people of Sami were living despite persecution from I presume Christians. Mm-hmm. That's quite safe. <laughs> I Generally. People, I wrote down religious religious pressure, but I presume Christians. Yeah. Um, and he was a bit of a fibber. But 
he was a bit of an exaggerator about his achievements and sort of aren't I great which sounds slightly like me (laughs) but I'm not as bad as him I think so the things that he claimed he claimed that the Alps were bigger than Everest okay is not true. No. <laughs> obviously. Um he claimed that he never got tired and could oh. go for days without resting, which again <laughs> is silly. He posed in a and I'm going to do like air quotes, a traditional Sammy costume. <laughs> no. No, not like, so much. It's no. quite a funny, it's quite a funny if you if you google Carl Linnaeus like um you'll see him in a sort of a sort of adventurer outfit with completely weird mismatched pieces of clothing that he claimed was a traditional outfit, which was very much not. Um, Something that was quite cool, actually, is that in the 1730s, Dutch ships had a tradition of bringing back seeds from wherever they went. Hmm, Okay. So that was every ship that went. um, Why am I talking about Dutch? I think he was in Netherlands at the time. So that's okay. probably why. Yeah, yeah. That he'd moved to the Netherlands. Um, and so all vessels that went from the Netherlands would bring back seas wherever they went. So it wasn't unusual for him to bring back stuff. But one he tried to make plants sexy, which they are. Listen, that that I have <laughs> built a career around this. But wait for this. It's just like another level, right? So I sorry if I'm pronouncing any of these parts of plants wrong. <laughs> okay. I'm reading them. I've never heard people say them. I've only ever read them. Calyx. Yep. Okay. So he described the calyx as the bedchamber, the okay. anthers, the anthers. Yeah. As uh, the testes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The pollen. The, the pollen is the sperm. Right. The stigma is the vulva, and the style is the vagina. So he, he, I think it was a book that he published and he was just like, hey guys, come and get involved in plants. Look, here's the penis. Um, <laughs> people loved it. Oh, I bet they did. Yeah. They loved it. And it was, you know, I mean, if you think this is the sort of 18th century, scandalous, absolutely oh, yeah. scandalous. So people were buying his books and um, getting into botany, which was wonderful. So when I get back to the lists thing, so he was responsible for binomial classification. Mm-hmm. So he sort of took Ray's, was it Ray? Yeah, he took Ray's sort of classification and sort of redefined it. And the that's made me laugh because I was, we do have to put Latin names in our reports at work. I don't know them. So every, you know, so every, I, you know, I write down a plant list when I'm on site, obviously in, in the common name. And then for every single one, I will type in blah, 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 Latin name. Um, and I noticed at the end of something, I can't remember what plant it was. It had L dot. Yep. And I was like, am I, am I supposed to include that? What is that? And I and I was sat and I just yelled across the room. I was just like, and I yelled out the Latin and I was like, and it's got an L dot on the end. What does that mean? And two of my colleagues went, oh, Linnaeus. Carl, it'll have the 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 shorthand of the person that named that plant. And I was like, never heard of Linnaeus. Yep. <laughs> Started doing research on him for this episode. And then at work saw this L dot and it happened to be Linnaeus. Um, that's really interesting. And, and you know, that, that yeah, that comes up in a lot of the nomenclature a lot. And if you're one of my students listening to this, 
don't blame me that you have to learn scientific names. Blame Linnaeus. It's Carl's fault. And, exactly. Uh, blame Damn it, Carl. Yeah. Come on, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did not realize he was such a, uh, uh, what's a good word, colorful character is that. I, we, I just always blame yeah. him for having to learn yeah. plant names. Damn him. But I mean, thankfully, I don't tend to know. But then when you get um, one of our principal ecologists is a botanist, that's his um, I just think it's because it doesn't want to do bat surveys and bird surveys. He just paints plants. <laughs> you can look at that plants means anytime. That, yeah. that means he can just go out in the day. It doesn't have to do unsociable hours, which, you know, he's got it down. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, but he'll write stuff in Latin and then he'll give me the plant list. And I'm just like. Great, thanks. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and he'll do it in shorthand Latin as well. Oh and wow! Just like, oh no! And I'll have to be knocking on his door, going, "Oh, what's this? What's this?" Thankfully, he breaks out into grasses and and stuff. Sure. So I'll see power, and I'll be like, "Okay, I know what that is. That's a meadow grass. That's a meadow grass." <laughs> um, but yeah, so I thought that was very cool, Colinius, um, on his very exciting travels, um, just making stuff up and um, blowing hot air. <laughs> that is really um, funny. This seems like a great time to take a quick break. So let's head to the mid-roll and we'll be back to talk about more Plant Hunters soon. Well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll, my friends. It's been a while since I've gotten to say that to you, so I'm excited to be creepy and welcome you to the mid-roll. I'm going to keep this one super-duper short. Go find Planthropology all the places I'm on. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook uh, as Planthropology. There's even a great Facebook group called Planthropology's Cool Plant People, which I hope you will join. It's a good time. I don't post in there as much as I should, but along with trying to do this podcast more, I'm going to try to get better about plugging into some of the social media. I am also the plant prof in all the places, including the TikTok machine. So I talk about some podcast stuff, but if you want some other information about plants and what I think about bananas and to see some of the doodles my students draw, go follow me on TikTok at The Plant Prof. Um, Thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show and just for, as always, being so great. I could not do what I do without the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science, which is my department, and specifically guest from episode number six, way in the way back when, two years ago, Dr. Glenn Ritchie, who is... uh, just really a good human being and who runs this department and who has given me so much latitude to do what I want to do with the show. The other thing I want to talk about is my other podcast, In the Grow. In the Grow is a show where we talk about different ways to garden on a budget, specifically for my part of the country, Lubbock, Texas. But in general, it could be something that applies to anyone, wherever you're trying to garden. Good concepts, good plant stuff, and uh Lots of fun and jokes and all kinds of things with my co-host and and very good friend, Rachel Boyd, who, by the way, is one of the best jazz singers I think I've ever heard. We're going to see if we can convince her to do that sometime. But we are having a live show coming up on October 15th, uh, 2022. That's a Saturday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Time It will be streamed probably across my social media accounts. Uh, I will have more information about that soon. But we're going to take audience questions. We're going to do a plant swap. We're going to have fun. And it's going to be great. So if you want to join in and uh, be a part of that, uh, stay tuned. Follow my social medias and I'll have links and stuff available for that. It'll also be recorded for you to watch later and posted on the In The Grow podcast feed probably soon after the 15th. So uh, I've got a promo coming up that Rachel and her lovely voice 
recorded. And I hope you'll listen to that. I hope you'll join us for the live show. And I hope you love the second half of this episode. It's a long one, right? That's okay. Promo coming at you in five, four, three, two, one. Let's hit it. Hello, plant people. Want to get in the grow? Live? Join me, Rachel Boyd, plant expert Vikram Baliga, and your fellow plant people to swap plants, seeds, advice, or planting gone wrong stories. Have a question? Have it answered by Vikram, not me. Submit your botanical query to inthegrowpod at gmail.com or at the event where we will have a question box. Come in your best plant-related Halloween costume to win a mystery planter. If costumes aren't your thing, don't worry. You can also win a mystery planter by entering our raffle. Come have some fall fun and get in the grow with us Saturday, October 15th from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Texas Tech Horticultural Gardens. Yeah, so, um, oh, I've got some of these in the wrong order, actually. I'm going to move one a little bit. I'm going to go to her uh, her afterwards. I've got Joseph Banks. Okay. Does he ring, does he ring a bell? <laughs> uh, okay. In a weird way, yes. Uh, there is, okay. I don't, I don't know if this is like a, an internet. There's a clothing store, um, like a men's clothing store called Joseph A. Bank or Joseph really? A. Bank. Yeah. And, and I don't, he, it's weird because he doesn't like stick in me as like stick in my mind as a plant guy, but my mind like immediately goes to this clothing store and they do these, this is again, completely unrelated. They do these (laughs) ridiculous sales where they're like, buy one, get one free on sport coats. And then you look and the sport coats a thousand dollars and you're like, wow, how about you just sell them for half that price and I'll buy one. How about that? (laughs) I I don't think I still won't buy one. (laughs) No, I wouldn't either. I'm just, yeah, no. Oh goodness. If if you, if anyone out there thinks I would wear like a 5,000, like a $500 sport coat, like, I wear Hawaiian well, shirts to teach in. Uh, maybe. That's a solid maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, but he was the botanist who sailed with Captain Cook. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So apparently, because I listened to a podcast about Captain Cook the other day, he weren't even a captain. Really? But people just, no, he wasn't even a captain. People just call him Captain Cook. Okay. So, yeah. So um, Joseph Banks got into botany at the age of 13. So uh, he was around in the 18th century. So he was born in 1743. Okay. Um, so he was walking back home um, down a country lane after being out with his buddies at the age of 13 and apparently was struck by the beauty of plants hmm. and decided that he was going to learn absolutely everything that he could about botany. Um, so he... He was this guy who was rich and he basically bought his way onto Captain Cook's ship huh? because he okay. was like, I want to go. And I think he took like 12 staff. Half of this I've not written down and I don't know why, but this is from memory. So he took like 12 like helpers and the amount of equipment that he took with him to collect botanical specimens was absolutely incredible. Um a, a side note about Captain Cook. Um, so uh, uh, I, I'm going off on a tangent slightly, but it's an interesting little fact that was included in the writings about Joseph Banks. So at the time, 
so many sailors were dying of scurvy. So scurvy is when you do not get enough vitamin C, basically. So you don't get enough vegetables. And they did not know at this time in the 18th century why, why people were getting scurvy and how to treat it. And like ships were losing like 70% of their sailors. Oh, wow. To scurvy. Like it was absolutely nuts. And if you think of these huge expeditions across the globe, scurvy was like the biggest killer, not battles, not like thirst, like scurvy was one of the biggest killers. And to think that just a few drops of lemon juice every day um, was fixing it. Yeah. But Captain Cook actually introduced, I say introduced, he bought on like um, barrels and barrels of sauerkraut, which does have vitamin C in. Yeah. And could be pickled. Um, so, but sauerkraut isn't to everybody's taste. (laughs) I I think I have had it and I like it. I think it's nice, but, um, he wanted to make sure that the crew would eat the sauerkraut, right? So he did this thing where he sold it to them as an, not as in monetary wise, but sold the idea that it was a delicacy. Huh? So he started out the voyage only having it for himself and the other officers, and you can just imagine all the sailors like, yeah. oh, what's, what's he got? What's he got, lad? What's yeah. He got? What's he got there? And then he started letting them have a little bit now and again. And then they just became lit for sauerkraut. And then everyone had a daily ration <clears throat> of sauerkraut, which meant that they didn't get scurvy. And at this time, I think, I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, they didn't know why. But for some reason, he must have thought that would be good and they didn't get scurvy. Yeah. So I think two people or something died on the ship. Wow. Um, And yeah, so it was just really fascinating. That's Um, so interesting. Yeah. So um, when they landed in Australia and basically just ruined everyone's day, um, (laughs) that's where Botany Bay is called Botany Bay in Australia. um, because. Banks went out and was just like, oh, my God, all the the flowers. And that's where he was like, I use the word discover. And I mean, discovered by the British (laughs) is what I mean by that. Um, No, I yeah, Because the Aboriginal population will have known literally everything and probably more. Oh, yeah. Than we know now. Yeah. (laughs) um, About the plants. But um, there was a Banksia. Is is named after him, which is like a. You're nodding. I I didn't even look to see what it looked like, but I've just written down. It's got brush-like flowers. Uh huh. They're, they're yeah. pretty. Um, so on that trip, he collected 1,300 species, um, and discovered quote um, 110 <laughs> new genera um, on the trip, and over his lifetime, he introduced 7,000 new species to Britain. Wow. Mostly through his work at Kew Gardens. Um, I was recently supposed to go to Kew Gardens for the first time. Yeah? Yeah, I went down to London to see my friend and I was staying in Hackney with her and she was like, should we go to Kew Gardens? And I was like, you could, that is the best thing you've ever said to me. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, and then there was a, we were having quite a lot of train strikes, train driver strikes for better pay. So mm-hmm. power to them. I support yeah. you. 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> not when it affects me. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, it would have been an hour and a half with two small children on a very, very hot bus. And yeah, couldn't go in the end. So I was so sad. So I've just been watching watching a documentary on Kew Gardens instead. <laughs> just I'll go. Yeah, I'll go one day, but it's a trip down to London and then a further trip to Kew. So it's sure. just a bit of a faff. But um, that's that's that yeah. one's definitely on my list too. Someday, I would love to get there. I'll come with you. Yeah, deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks amazing. So yeah, big guy Joseph Banks. So um, that's really fascinating. And uh, yeah, he basically bought his way onto the. And he, he bought his way onto more expeditions as well. Just was just like, look at all this money. Huh, have a donation. Wink, wink. Okay. Yeah, take sure. me with you. Yeah. Um, so that is Joseph Banks. And then I've got Marianne North. Um, so she was born in 1830. So we've moved into the 19th century now. Um, so she developed a love for exotic flora and plants of the tropics from going to Kew Gardens because her dad was friends with oh i can't remember his second name joseph hooker or jack hooker okay i can't what he was the director of pew gardens at the time and i actually um i was listening to an audiobook a bill bryson audiobook about um life at home i think it's called something like that and he was talking about this guy who was i'm going slightly off on one but it's about plants so it's fine um this guy was head gardener at this massive estate by the age of 20. Um, he designed uh, Chris, uh, the the great exhibition of 18-something-something. Okay. Think of when it was the 19th century. There was this huge great exhibition, um, and they'd had thousands of um, drawings for this huge place to um, hold the great exhibition, which basically bought inventions from all around the world into this big place i'd have loved if i could go anywhere in history i think i'd go to the great exhibition but um he built this crystal palace which was humongous and made of glass and was much he designed he wasn't even an architect he was this like incredible guy Hmm. Um, and he ended up being the um director of kew gardens uh, and built the palm house okay which has been um i think it got renovated a few years ago according to my documentary because i've not been (laughs) um um, but so she sort of she went to the palm house because her dad was friends with the director and she was just like plants are my bag so uh she was not just uh she painted them that's how she started she started painting um and uh she then decided that she wanted to go around the world and collect and paint plants so how many countries do you think that she visited okay, I'm in be more, her lifetime? I'm going to be more conservative with my guess this time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to keep disappointing you. 1,500, no. Uh, how about 17? <gasps> Did I get it? On the nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Nice. So she visited 17 countries on six continents in 14 years. Wow. Um, so she went to the US of A, uh, Canada, Jamaica, the Caribbean. She went to Brazil and Chile. She went to Tenerife, the Brits' favorite. <laughs> um, she went to Japan, Singapore. I don't know what Sarawak is. 
that's in Asia, whatever that is now. Um, Java, Sri Lanka, India, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the Seychelles. Wow. She did it alone. Wow. With no chaperone. She traveled on her own. And if you think of a Victorian dress, she's wearing traditional Victorian dress, collecting plant specimens and bought but bought them back to Kew Gardens. And she also painted, like when I was reading it, it was like, and she did 500 paintings on this trip and she did 400 paintings and 200 on this trip. And like, she then donated a lot of the paintings to Kew Gardens um, so that they could raise money and, and you know, sure. teach people about plants. So I just, I mean, that's that's the story really of her. Yeah. But the sheer you know a lot of the women that i was seeing was you know they were a very beautiful painter and blah 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 blah. but this was just like i was like 17 countries that's a lot <laughs> you know and that's in 14 years so she must have spent a lot of time on a boat like all of that time it feels like all of that time on a boat yeah exactly so i just can't imagine like how wonderful that would have been um wow. you know as a vic- as a lone female traveler and I, I don't think, I think I was reading that she never got married because hmm. she was like, plants. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> I'm not. I, more I countries can't be to pregnant see. while traveling. Come yeah, on. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I just found her and there's there's loads of videos and stuff online about her um, that, that, that are fantastic to watch. Like, and they've done it sort of through Kew Gardens and stuff. And there's, they've got an exhibition at Kew Gardens on her. So that's on my list. We'll go together. Yeah, it's cool. I love um, it. Yeah. So, last guy. Okay. Slightly more, I don't think scandalous is the word. I guess a little bit more shock value, this last one. Uh, and uh, David Douglas. Okay. The- of Douglas Furfame. Oh, that one. Okay. That guy. Yeah. Okay. So, this, uh, this is going to split the UK in half when I say this and probably annoy the Scots. Douglas was born in Scone. He was not born in Scone, in Perthshire. Perthshire, sorry. Um, so yeah, in Britain, people some people say Scone and say that saying Scone is posh, and the people who say Scone say that Scone is posh. Oh, that's funny. It's it's Scone and Scone is posh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tend to believe you. So yeah, uh, that's, what would you that's... say? How would you say it as as a USA? How, how's it spelled? S-C-O-N-E. Oh, I would say scone. Yeah, because yeah. that's the correct way. Because that's it. how it's pronounced, yeah. <laughs> but then people say, well, you don't say gone instead of gone. And I'm like, be quiet. Maybe I do. <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't know. <laughs> I'll do it now. <laughs> um, Just out of spite. Yeah, so he was an apprentice um, to a head gardener at Scone Palace. And actually, this the, the, it might be pronounced completely differently in Scotland. I don't I, actually I don't, know. I don't As a place name, it might be pronounced differently. But by, anyway. by the way, um, uh, Scone Palace would be a fantastic name for a bakery. So if any, you know, it would, and I've never seen it. It it's, it's got to be I've there never, somewhere. But it's a good name. There's there's oh there's a just slightly off on a tangent there. There's um <laughs> there's there's a sort of uh, regionally across Britain, people will um call what i call a cob you'd call it a biscuit okay but we don't call it a biscuit in britain those are cookies um but um <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but in 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 britain 
for the same thing, will be it will be called batch cob roll. Um, and I cannot call it anything other than a cob, but I don't live in my native area anymore. I don't live in the Midlands. Mm-hmm. And I went <laughs> I went over to Oxford and I was in a, a calf and I asked for like, I was like, and it says bacon roll. And I'm like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> and um, and I just said, can I have a bacon cob, please? And he just went, is that a roll? And I thought he was joking along with me. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I went, I went, no, it's a cob. And he did not laugh at all. Oh, no. Like, he was just dead. Oh, no. He was just like. Yes, but so I can charge you for the correct thing. You want to roll. And I was just like, oh, my God, I wanted to die. And I just <laughs> said, I'm sorry. I was just making a joke. Oh, and man. he just didn't respond. No, um, completely so unamused. Just, That's wow. No, he was just not interested in my. And the reason I got to that is because there's a um, when I visit my friends up in Derbyshire, which is still sort of the same area where where I grew up. There is a, um, a what we'd call a cob shop, a bakery, and it's literally called "It's a Cob." <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> and every time, because that's that's you know that's what we will call it. And so yeah. every time, um, <laughs> I go, I used to go past it. A, I knew I was near my friend's house, and B, I was like, I'm with my people. <laughs> I love that. I love that it's so much. It's a cob. That was literally all it was called. It just what, said it's what, a cob. What a passive aggressive way to name your 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 business. I love that so much. It's like you're not allowed to go in there if you ask for a batch. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So yeah, anyway, I went off on a tangent there. No, it's a good that, one. <laughs> so I thought I'd share it. Um, so he ended up so he was an apprentice for the head gardener at this scone palace, and then he moved to the botanical gardens of Glasgow University. And he attended botany lectures. Um, so there was a chap called William Jackson Hooker, another hooker, who was the garden director and professor at botany. So he was really impressed with him and so took him on an expedition to the Highlands and then recommended him to the Royal Horticultural Society of London. Ooh. Fancy. So fancy, fancy people, basically. So yeah. his his main trips were to North America. Hence the Douglas fir. So okay. in 1827, he introduced the Douglas fir into cultivation, which I saw a little note going, actually, it's not a real fir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I just took it for okay. Yeah, it's fine. Don't know. Um, so he introduced about 240 species of plants into Great Britain, and they were all from North America. So okay. we're over there stealing from you lot. Nah, give fine. them to us, we'll have them. Please give us all of our fir trees. Um, but here's the um, the quite exciting bit, which has nothing to do with botany, but has to do with his death. <laughs> um, so he died under mysterious circumstances in hmm. Hawaii. So in 1834, he was 35. So about my age. Yeah, mine too. Um, yeah, about our age, he went off. And um, so he was, oh, I'm going to say this wrong. He was climbing Mauna Kea. Mount Kea, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank God. Um, I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, so he apparently fell into a pit trap, right, and mm-hmm. then was mauled to death by a bull. By a bull? By a bull. Yeah. So <laughs> apparently, you could dig 
traps to catch cows in. Okay. It's... I don't know why you would want to catch cows or why <laughs> would you would want to catch them. I don't really know. But he fell in huh. the pit trap and okay. then a bull fell in and gored him. But the reason that it says that it's suspicious, and I read sort of quite a few different things going, it's not suspicious at all. He was mauled by a bull to this guy, right? So there was an English chap called Edward Gurney who had been sent to the penal co- uh, the penal colonies in Australia uh, for some sort of petty crime. I can't I, I can't remember what it was, but he got seven years for I don't sure. know, probably nicking a hanky. Yeah. handkerchief or something um he then i think he did his seven years and then somehow ended up on a boat and decided to get off at hawaii and he lived there um uh the uh douglas was on his way because he was he was moored there for a couple of months or something and had to wait for the next ship and so he decided to go on this um you know plank collection up the i'm guessing mauna means mountain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very I, th- I think I think so. <laughs> um, and he stopped at this chap's hut for breakfast, right? And they were like, "Oh, we're English, isn't England great? Yeah, we love England, woohoo!" <laughs> um, and then apparently, this Gurney chap was just like, "Beware of the pitfall traps." Um, but bear in mind that Douglas, just like all these other explorers, was absolutely minted, so had loads of money. Yeah, this Gurney chap, not so much. He was one of us. Um, and so basically he became suspected in Douglas's death hmm. and they thought that he had pushed him in or killed him or whatever, or made this story up. But apparently his body was, um, it was, it, it looked like he had been gored. Huh. His injuries were, yeah. So you never know, but the guy sort of, it's sort of the mystery. He was never arrested or anything because there was never really any proof. They just sort of went, Hey, he, he was a criminal. Therefore he probably, he must have done him. it. Yeah. Well, exactly, pushed him in, so. pushed the bull in on top of him. Yeah. Which must be easy to do, pushing a bull in. Yeah. You um, surely. Yeah. So that that's the specific plant hunters. Huh. There's so many. Yeah. We'd be talking forever. I tried to pick out some that were, were quite, I mean, they're all interesting. They all, yeah. sort of, you know. Um, but yeah. So the, to be, a 19th century man just <laughs> getting on with money, getting on a ship yeah, and just going, oh, I like plants. Let's go get some. So something yeah, that's that. something. Yeah. I found that interesting, but as well as the plant hunters themselves, I did do a little section on orchid hunters. Yeah. Let's hear it. Because I like it. Orchids are very nice. Um, so in the 19th century to the early 20th, so I've sort of got the years of 1838 to 1910, orchid fever. We got orchid fever. <laughs> so it wasn't just plant, it wasn't just general plants. It was just like, oh my God, let's go get some orchids. Um, fortunes were made and lost at orchid auctions. A bit, it was described a bit like the um, the tulip. Mm-hmm. 
the sort of tulip phase where everyone was spying and said, oh, some bats in the garden. That's nice. Sorry, I just got distracted. I just saw some, <laughs> just saw some bats in the, uh, against I, the I, I have to say just the joy on your face just now made me so happy. <laughs> made me so happy. So distracted. I just, I presume it's a pipistrelle by the way it's moving, but I just saw it against the sky and I was like, hi, my babies. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a single orchid could reach £2,000 Wow. Then, wow. Then, so Goodness. I've got okay. down two hundred and fifty, a quarter of a million pounds now, which would probably be like what three hundred something thousand like dollars, something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and some were sold in lots of hundreds for far more. Wow. So it sounds like the most daring, like crazy. I suppose not a job. But, you know, fortune hunting, I guess, for people. So explorers had to be good at botany to know Mm -hmm. if they were finding a new species. Um, They had to, it became such a big business. They had to negotiate with locals, get locals involved to help them find these orchids. Um, So it said that one importer noted losses of much as I've got this one in dollars, which is not useful for me now, but one importer (laughs) noted losses of as much as $80,000 on a single shipment um, because bringing them back, it's all very well collecting loads, but bringing them back sure, is another matter. You know, like a there's been, I think I've got some that are lost in hurricanes. Some were chased away by locals. Um, there's one about a specific plant hunter called Benedict Rosal. I'm not sure if you pronounce that correctly. Um, R-O-E-Z-E, Rosal. Um, so he was employed by um, uh, uh, nurserymen, if that's even a word, it must be. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a guy called Frederick Sander who who ran the world's largest orchid nursery at the time. So this Rosal guy stood over six feet tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, and he had a hook <laughs> instead of a hand. No, what? His left hand was a hook, which is just <laughs> cool. Um. So he ins- he insisted on traveling alone, but despite what I think would have been quite an intimidating appearance, he was robbed 17 times at least. Like it was like this cutthroat guy. And I guess if he was so recognizable, people would have gone, this guy's got all kids, get it. Yeah. <laughs> if he was on his own, you know, a couple, yeah. of, couple of big blokes might have had him. So um, many consider him one of the greatest collectors of the age. So he identified and collected for Europe. Let me do again. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, 800 new species. Wow. I mean, it says flowering plants and trees, so perhaps maybe not just orchids, but he shipped massive amounts of plants. And one of his orchid shipments weighed over eight tons. Wow. That's a lot of plants. Oh, uh, please don't collect all the plants yeah no (laughs) do you know what i mean like that's just not like i get it but at this time they just had absolutely no respect for anyone the europeans have no no respect for anyone or anything (laughs) that's so So, true and it's like so sad to think about though yeah we're just gonna strip these clean um i've got another (laughs) chap another orchid chap called carl robelin so he was in the Philippines and he survived an earthquake there. Um, <clears throat> and he sighted an unknown orchid 
through a hole in the roof of a treehouse. <laughs> and then the earthquake hit. So he couldn't get the orchid because it got ruined. <laughs> Another time he collected more than 21,000 examples of an unknown. Oh, I'm going to hit you with a Latin. Okay, let's hear so it. I don't know how to say, but I'm going to try. Yeah, let's do it. Phalaenopsis. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did I say it right? Yeah. <laughs> so he had 21,000. What is that? What is that? So, so yeah, it's an orchid, the Phalaenopsis orchid. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very common one, at least in the U.S. Um, if you're at a grocery store or a nursery and you see an orchid, right. the odds are very good that it's one of those. Right. Okay. So he only he then lost them when the ship trans, um, sank in a hurricane, um, and he had to go back and get them again. He should wow. have just gone. Should have just gone to a supermarket, shouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, so another chap, uh, William Mykolitz. Um, so he was sent to collect in a remote and dangerous at the time New Guinea. I'd love to go to New Guinea. Me too. Oh, so now. I don't know how much of this I believe because it's just a little bit like um, a little bit farcical, but it says he encountered ritual human sacrifices that sent him running into the jungle where he literally ran into a spectacular specimen. Now, (laughs) (laughs) sure, it sounds a little bit, you know, um, movie. Yeah. Oh, my God, the cannibals and all ritual sacrifices. (laughs) But anyway, that's that's the story. Um, so then the ship, this spectacular specimen, the ship that he put it on, then burnt in port. That has some so luck. Set on fire. Um, and then he had to find it in a different location where um, some tribes were having a war. And uh, he collected specimens from the remains of slain warriors. But like, okay, I don't. Why would the warriors have the specimens? That doesn't make any sense. Why would they? I don't know. A, they're not having orchid wars. Yeah, no, they don't care. I mean, they're just plants there, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. But I, that, farcical uh. or not, that one made me laugh. Um, so orchid collection on this huge scale eventually sort of wound down and they chilled out a little bit because hybridizing became a bit more reliable and they could produce the plants without going and absolutely ripping them out of the wild <laughs> and destroying the biodiversity. Um, and then uh, World War One hit, which destroyed loads of nurseries. And um, I suppose World War One sort of changed Europe massively because, yeah. you know, changed everything. So yeah. people were like, oh, kids are fine, but maybe we've got more <laughs> important things to do. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my little orchid section, which I thought was quite interesting because I like orchids. I don't. I know a lot of people who will buy an orchid and then when it finishes flowering, they'll throw it away. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you need to neglect them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they don't want your attention. Like, people always say, oh, my orchid's dying, and then you see the roots. You show They show you the roots, and they're just rotted to death, and it's just like... Stop watering it. You need to water it when you go, oh, my God, when did I last water that? I can't (laughs) remember. I should give it some water. That's exactly right. And that's what I say to people... And um, I've just got one in the bathroom that obviously likes the humidity in there and it's not had a flower on for ages, but it's had a new green leaf. So, yeah, it's on the way. Um, well, that's yeah. and that is such an interesting topic because, you know, you it, 
you kind of see these trends throughout time, right? We had, you know, uh, tulip mania or whatever they called it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the orchid stuff. And then now everyone's all about like houseplants, right? That's the yeah. thing. Monsteras and other philodendrons and like yeah. all these other things that, you know, if you get on any of these plant sites, it's like, you know, $1,500 for a unrooted Hold cutting on. of some stupid, like white. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Maybe it's because I, yeah, silly. I don't know. It's silly. It's silly. Yeah, Maybe because like I have a greenhouse <laughs> and I'm like, we just like accidentally break pieces off of stuff and we stick it in dirt and it grows. And I'm like, it's, yeah. they're not that special. Like they just kind of do the thing. No, I mean, I've gotten into the, I really like variegated yeah, sure. plants because they're really pretty. So I've just said to everyone, if you want to buy me a plant, buy me a very, <laughs> but to be honest, my house is very, very, very dark because it was mm. built in 1800, like early 1800s. So we moved from a house that had lots of windows and was very bright and I had loads of house plants and I've had to reduce them massively and uh, because they just they just were dying because they weren't getting enough light. So but now I've got my outdoor plants. Sure. The trade off. You know, so, yeah, all my outdoor ones, I'm getting like variegated this, variegated that. When I'm seeing cool. something variegated, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what's that? I want it just because it's interesting. Variegated roses all over them. That is very cool love them that is very yeah cool. so i need to we have some we have some flowers in the garden that have some interesting variegation isn't quite the right word for flowers i guess but uh they have some Oops, really cool sorry. flower structure <laughs> no, no 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 i that's the word i would have used too and i'm thinking about it and i guess maybe it is i hear it more used commonly used for like leaves yeah but i don't know what other word i would use for a flower so we're just going to go with it um because that's what i would have said too uh, I need to send. I need to send you pictures of like some of the weird stuff. Uh, we see it in our sunflowers sometimes because we just let our sunflowers, you know, cross pollinate and yeah. reseed and just naturally take over. And we get some real mm. weird stuff sometimes. Like we'll pop one will pop up. And we're like, who are you? Where did you come from? And yeah. you know, uh, really That's some cool amazing. things. But, I've got no end under the bird feeder. Oh, I'm sure. Because I because I feed them. It's never happened before, but because it's on soil. Yeah. Um. I I've got the I'm oh, I can't out. I love my birds, so I'm feeding them constantly. They're like pigs. Um. But I, <laughs> I, I I'm interested to see because there's two types coming up, and I've left them rather than pulling them out because I would like to see what they're going to be. Um. Because I did grow some flowers for the first time this year from seeds. Um, and I had ones with like giant heads, but the heads were so giant that they just flopped. Yeah. And uh, my friend gave me some red sunflowers, which I'm going to, they're, they're not quite at seed yet, but I, they've got several heads rather than just cool. the one. Yeah. So I think I'll, um, I'll say, pardon me, I'll save the seeds and, um, and plant them next year. Cause my other half is building me. My, it's just been my birthday and I said, oh, what do you want? Happy birthday. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. 32 um 32 um and he said what do you want for your birthday and I was like I want a cold frame all I want is a cold frame so we uh we've got a load of old leaded windows that in a past life we were going to build a tiny house mm-hmm. um but the planning permission was just by the time you've done everything in Britain it's very difficult to build a tiny house um okay. you just you, it's 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 anywhere you put it is basically illegal <laughs> unless you own the land and have permission to have it there oh so, wow yeah, it's very annoying. Or if you're in someone's garden, it's fine. Um, but anyway, I won't bore you with that. But we had loads of leftover windows. 
um, that we were going to use that we'd bought like secondhand leaded windows and some stained glass ones for the side. Um, and so we're sort of taking the front off of the shed and building like a uh, this beautiful frame. I say we, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <Quite> <laughs> the ro- the royal we, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and making this really beautiful cold frame out of um, leaded stained glass um, windows. So I'm hoping that next year, I was like, as long as it's in by spring, or late yeah. winter, I'm happy. And then yeah. I can start my proper sort of cool. propagating and um, trial and error, really. Because a lot of it's been trial and error this year. Some of the things in the beds I wouldn't do again because I've not taken notice sure. of the heights. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I've not really thought about it. And I've gone, that's nice. And when it's small, I've just shoved it in. And then suddenly I've got these cosmos <laughs> that are absolutely huge yeah. in the middle of the bed. And you can't see anything else. But the bees love them. So I've I've kept them where they are for now. But next year i'll i'll put them somewhere else because i don't think they probably won't survive the winter depending how cold it is so yeah yeah it's a learning process oh it is it is so as we kind of wrap up i'm going to put you on the spot what's your favorite flower Mm. (laughs) oh i it's probably roses okay that is that is so cliche um it's okay though okay no no jasmine Ooh, good choice. Yeah, jasmine, honeysuckle, anything that A, grows relatively wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if it doesn't smell, I'm not interested. Yeah. So jasmine, just climbers, jasmine and honeysuckle, and they're so good for wildlife as well. If yeah. I buy roses, I tend to buy ones that are more open so that pollinators yeah. could get in. But I have yeah. allowed myself a couple of pretty ones. Yeah. Um, just because the amount of time I spent, I'm going off on one about roses now, but the That's amount right. of times I tried to find a nice smelling rose, and I've obviously got quite high standards. I what in one day I went to six garden centers and sniffed every <laughs> rose to find, and I was like, no. No, no. And and we even had the guy helping us um, at the garden centre and the poor bloke. And I was like, no, no, bye. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> but, they're just, but they've got to smell amazing because I I'm know with they you. can. I'm with you. So why would I buy one that doesn't smell amazing? It just seems silly. I agree. Uh, have you, uh, again, uh, I keep thinking of new things to ask you because I like talking to you. Um, <laughs> have you smelled ginger flowers? No. Uh, Does it smell like ginger? It smells like spicy honeysuckle. It's incredible. They're they're my favorite oh my like smelling flower. They're it's I, I'm trying to think and I'm they almost literally looking for a pen. They're, they're you not, have to message it to me. <laughs> I will. They're not I'll send you a picture too. They're not in the same family as a honeysuckle, but the flower structure is very similar and the mm. way they produce nectar and things and I think probably their batch of pollinators is very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um but like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Okay. If you think of like a, like a spiced candle that you would smell mm. at like Christmas time, you know, fall I sniffed time. some today. I was in yeah. TK Maxx today. I had my face in them candles. Yeah. So if you took <laughs> that and like combined it with a honeysuckle, that's what they smell like. And it's, but like it, they're soft. It's, it, they're beautiful. Wonderful. I'm going to see smell. if I can get some now. You should try to. You should <laughs> I try hope to. they sell them in the UK. Otherwise I'm just going to cry. <laughs> uh, but I bet they do. I bet they do. But uh, uh, Natalie, that was so much fun. I could I could literally talk to you about plants all day in history. I know it's wonderful. After rain is in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Nat Sabin. 
Um, or you can find my uh, Across the Ages account at at underscore Across the Ages. I don't know who has at Across the Ages, but, you know, yeah. don't follow them. <laughs> um, we don't want the, them to have any extra publicity. Yeah. I've probably got about, um, I mean, it sounds weird that I've got a history podcast, but when I'm an ecologist, but I like history is I could either work in history or ecology. I like them both the same. So I just thought oh, I'll just, I already get my sort of kick at yeah. it, my wildlife kick from work. So I'll, I'll have a history one. So there's probably, I think there's 22 episodes, something like that so far. Um, and it's very but, good. Thank you. It's very sweary. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and, it, and it's just me just chatting on my own. <laughs> I like talking, so um, <laughs> so my poor other half doesn't have to hear me all the time. He gets a little break from me doing a podcast, <laughs> but it's it's doing quite well. I've just recently hit twenty thousand, twenty one thousand listens. Hey, that's awesome! So it's still going, and I don't know why. Um, it, I, I had a I had a viral tweet early on in the podcast mm-hmm. in Twitter about a little hedgehog. It was a really really cool i remember um, that yeah yeah it was a hedgehog holding a little bowl and it was a ceramic one and i think it was mm, i can't think of the culture that did it but um i i said that this is the same age as the pyramids you yeah. know and people really liked that and because that went viral i think that that i think i got 500 listens in one day wow that's <laughs> cool like oh my god so i must have retained a couple yeah very cool um so yeah i really enjoy doing the podcast and um i have had a hiatus because i have adhd so i will go whole hog at something for quite a while and then as soon as i lose interest for a little bit i lose interest but i will get back on the train Hmm. um i just need that sort of something to hit me again so that i'm like i don't want to do it and me be bored doing it because if i'm bored doing it yeah. Everyone's no, bored I, listening I to understand. it. So I want to go at it when I'm 100% again. So this was a nice little practice doing no, all the plant, plant hunter. Well, and it was fun. Yeah. I told you that this is my first in a in a little while. And the ADHD would actually explain a lot. I, need yeah. to, I have to think about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll send you a test to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, this was my first one to record for a while with a guest. And I have just so much enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It's really nice. So thank you very, very much for having me on. Well, thanks for doing it. And uh, to all of you out there, thanks so much for listening. Go check out Across the Ages. Go uh, find Natalie on um, Twitter and uh, Instagram too, maybe. I am on Instagram, actually. Yeah, yeah Same. Instagram and too. Sabin and yeah. at, I think, underscore Across the Ages on Instagram as well. Yeah. Cool. So go check her out all, all right. the places. Thanks for listening. Be cool. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Y'all, thanks so much for listening and for being a part of this as always. You know I do this because I enjoy getting to talk to you and getting to be a little bit of your day. Thanks again to Nat for uh, being on the podcast, for all of her knowledge and research and wisdom and just wonderful personality. Again, she's one of my very favorite people on this planet. Thanks again to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for sponsoring the show and letting me do it. Uh, thank you to you, the listener. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology or visit my merch store by going to planthropologypod.com and clicking on merch. You know how much I love you. 
Y'all be kind. Be good to one another. If you have not been kind to one another, this is maybe a great time to start. I'll be back again next week or maybe the week after, depending on how life goes. Life is complicated. Talking about trees and what happens to them in the fall. Again, I love you folks. You take care. You be good and keep being a very cool plant people. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.